Hey everyone, welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm your co-host Tim Chelswick along with Mr. Matt Drury. What's up? How are you? I'm good, but we have a co-co-host. We're, we're we getting do. the band back together. <laughs> the Voltron is complete. <laughs> That's right. We, uh, we're bringing in Mark Kenyon and we're going to discuss, from Wired to Hunt obviously, <laughs> we're going to discuss a little success that he and I both had on the same day of all things. What's up, Mark? Man, it feels good to be back, especially given the circumstances. It's, it's nice that uh, we have a good reason to get back on the podcast all together. And um, we, like you said, we pulled it off on the same day, Matt. How crazy is that? It is crazy because I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like it's hard enough just to get a deer on the ground. But And the two of us just seem to have that uh, quality You're about us. <laughs> and then to both kill one on the same day, I mean, the stars are aligning. I know. I'm not going to complain, though. I'm, I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> well, I, I think while you guys talk about your kills, I'm going to go sit quietly in the corner. Is that okay if I just sit? In the fetal position? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a terrible – I'm literally having the worst deer season of my life so far. Oh, that no. sucks. It does. I feel your pain, though. I mean, I think Mark does, too. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. And, and Yeah, last year was a tough one, but it's so funny how quick it can change. You know, last year – was the first year in a long time I didn't kill a buck and you guys know the story there I was holding out for Holyfield and everything mm -hmm. and now this year I'm having one of my best years so it can all it can all change well has your mentality changed meaning are you you know I know that Holyfield's still out there but I know you got a couple other really good bucks there in Michigan and has that kind of changed your mentality like you know what it, this unicorn that's out here whatever if he walks in front of me great but I'm kind of shifting my goals a little bit. Definitely. I mean, I, in, on that property where Holyfield hopefully is still alive, I don't have 100% confirmation. I just have like possible pictures and stuff. Um, but on that property, I'm still kind of holding out for him. But my big difference this year was that I decided that the trips I had planned and the things I was going to do outside of that, I wasn't going to put on hold for Holyfield. Mm -hmm. So last year, I canceled all the trips because I just wanted to be there if, uh, if he was there. This year, I had this Nebraska trip and I was like, you know what? I'm going on. So I did the Nebraska trip. I did a Montana trip again earlier this year, killed a buck on public land. Um, so I'm able to have, you know, two great out-of-state hunts like that. And now I can focus on Holyfield starting tonight, and we'll give it a shot. So uh, the pressure isn't nearly as high as it's been in past years, though, so that yeah. feels nice. How, I, old, how old is Holyfield at this point? Five or six. Okay. Um, depends on if my first-year estimation was right. When I originally saw him in 15, I thought he was three, but he could have been just a really good two-year-old. So he's either he's either five or six. Okay. So, you know, the, the, I think the cool part of us jumping back on board, we, we could kind of backtrack a little bit, and I'd love to hear just a quick synopsis of what you're up to on the business side of things because you, you've had some pretty exciting news over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the big changes that was happening this past spring when I had, you know, shared with you guys that I was going to have to move away from doing the 100% Wild podcast is that I've now um, – brought Wired Hunt into a new company. It's called Meat Eater Inc., which is a new media company that uh, we're building with some guys like Steve Ranella, his Meat Eater brand, um, and a handful of other content contributors. We're kind of building a network of different hunting and fishing and conservation-related voices in the space, uh, building on a network of podcasts, shows, articles, all sorts of different types of digital content. Um, so that's this big new thing I've been working on, and lots of exciting things there. Um, but, you know... It's uh, there's a lot going on. It's been a very busy summer and fall now, and um, but all good stuff. 
So I, I'm excited to see what's going to come in here in 2019, because I think this year was a lot about just kind of putting the foundation in place and getting people hired and, you know, getting an office and figuring out who's going to do what. And now 2019 is going to be all about really putting stuff out to the world. that's going to be new and exciting. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Awesome, man. I was, cool. he called me uh, the day that the day after you killed your buck and I killed mine last week. And, and I had told him, I said, it's funny you called because this morning I, I, I was, uh, I was at um, getting my windows tinted on my new truck, actually. And I was watching Netflix. And they had Netflix running, and uh-huh. my Meat Eater was running. And I got to see both his episodes. Cool. That, yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, the caribou hunt turned out pretty cool on uh, on season seven of Meat Eater on Netflix. So uh, it was neat to be able to watch that. Yeah, I'm just happy that he's still joining us. You know, he's mainstream now. That's right. I, <laughs> when I when I see him at the trade shows this year, he's gonna have a horde of people. He's around just gonna him. go like this and walk past you. And, <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I, I wouldn't be worried about that, Matt. <laughs> the, you know, the, the really cool thing about about Meat Eater, among other things, is the broad, um, uh, the broad exposure and the broad. Um, uh, just uh, people love meat eater and it's not just hunters. It's it's friends that I know that aren't hunters, but just appreciate barbecue and just appreciate food in general. They're fans. And I, th- I think that's the kind of like overlap that we need to bring other people into. Like they may not start hunting, but they're more on board with hunting now than they yeah. were before. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're definitely, you know, approaching a lot of the content that we'll be producing in a way that hopefully can help bring new people into the fold and help also improve the, the overall perception of hunting to the outside world as well. Um, as we know that that's important if we want to keep doing what we're doing. So I think a big part of our goals is, is to try to, you know, really set a positive re- representation of what we're all about and what the hunting and fishing community is all about and um, keep that front and center in all of our content and projects. So I think we have a great opportunity there. Pretty awesome, man. We yeah. appreciate you guys doing it. It it helps us all, mm-hmm. every one of us. Yeah. Yep. So yep. right back. At you. Why don't you two idiots talk about your stupid deer that you killed? <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, let's start with yours, man. I, I you told me you gave me a few details, but it was a uh, it sounded like it was a pretty fascinating hunt. Yeah, it was it was really unique. I mean, just a totally different kind of deer hunting experience than I've ever had. Um, the basic gist of this was that uh, a good buddy and me had been talking for a while about wanting to do a trip together. And we ended up saying, well, there's this Nebraska property that my friend had gotten permission on. He'd been randomly making phone calls this summer, I think it was, and got a yes on this property out in central Nebraska. And so he was like, hey, you know, I got picked up this spot, never been out there. What do you think about it? We started like brainstorming and looking at it on the maps and thinking about it. And long story short on that, we decided, hey, we should, let's go try it. Let's go try hunt it. And because of my schedule, it looked like late October was going to be the best time to do that. So we headed out there uh, Wednesday night, having never been there before, having never, you know, never talked to anyone who'd really hunted there before other than the person that owned it. Um, And knowing that it was going to be pretty different than anywhere we'd ever been, because it's basically out in the, the Great Plains kind of of Nebraska, out there in the hills. But then there's a river that runs through the middle of it. And that river had some cover along it. So looking at the maps and stuff, it looked like there was this river. And then there's like some trees and cover around the river. And then it looked like there was some maybe some green grassy fields along there. So my assumption was that this was going to be like some of the places I've hunted in Montana that had some like alfalfa fields and hay fields and different things along those lines that concentrate a lot of deer. So I was kind of thinking, all right, this is like a western whitetail hunt like I've done in the past. I've had great success in these scenarios now. There's probably be loads of deer piled in these river bottoms. This is going to be a slam dunk. So we roll in, we drive all through the night, we get there at 7 a.m. 
um, meet with the landowner. He kind of says, all right, this is kind of the lay of the land. As long as you stay, you know, west of this spot, you're fine. You can kind of go wherever you want. And we realized this is not like what we were expecting. There's no ag fields. There's no alfalfa. There's no hay. It's just kind of sandy, grassy hills and then kind of cedar-choked canyons along the river. Um, really rugged stuff, big country, and tough access. Like, there's – this is in the middle of nowhere. So, like, there's a road that goes to this person's house. And then for 10 miles, there's 10 miles of river bottom that he owns that we had access to almost um, – but there's just basically like a tiny little two track that they run four wheelers and stuff on that goes part of that length. So it took us almost an hour to drive from this guy's house down to the area of the place that he was okay with us starting to hunt. And then from that point, trying to figure out where there might be deer was going to be a whole nother challenge. So that first morning where we thought, okay, let's glass. So we just kind of drove around on this two track, which is more of like a, like a cattle trail through the Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to glass hillsides, trying to see down the river bottom, trying to see stuff. And what we found out was that there was actually a bunch of cattle all across oh, the river bottom ground. Okay. And that was, that was really concerning. And, and the landowner was like, Oh yeah, I didn't realize we had the cattle in here. I don't know how that's going to impact things for you guys. <laughs> 14 hour drive <laughs> negatively. <laughs> yeah. So we were worried about that and we weren't seeing many deer at all. We saw, I think that first morning scouting around, we saw four or five deer, something like that. Um, just some does and one year and a half old buck. Um, and then just tons of cattle. So we were nervous and we, we did some kind of, you know, because of the fact that it was a very short hunt, we only had four days to hunt mm. in this brand new country. We knew we were going to have to be pretty aggressive with it. So we decided, all right, we're going to, we're going to push into stuff. We're going to be aggressive because we need to figure out stuff now. We can't afford to sit and waste time. Um, so we're going to kind of have to systematically work our way through these river bottoms. And that first day, like I said, did some scouting, saw very little sign, um, some tracks, but no scrapes where there should be scrapes, no rubs where there should be rubs, um, lots of cattle. So we set up our camp. We're camped out here. So we're camped about eight miles off the nearest road, um, set up our tents and everything and decide, all right, all these cattle seem to be back on this first half of the property. There seemed to be some good-looking cover on the far west side, several miles down from where we were at. There are these kind of bowls, like big ridge lines choked with cedars all around them and then the river down low underneath it and we thought that looks like great bedding like probably the best bedding along the river that we've seen so our plan for day one was to put our stands on our backs we were actually using tree saddles so wore our tree saddles and put our sticks on our backs and everything else i needed my camera gear and everything and hike two miles to get to this area because it was so rough you couldn't drive back there so we hiked two miles to this area and then we were going to kind of slowly sneak our way along this river bottom stuff, scouting our way. And then when we found some, some hot sign or saw something that seemed worth hunting over, we would set up our, set up our sticks and saddles and then hunt. So my buddy and I were doing that. He peeled off first, found a little spot, decided to sit there and hunt. I kept going and I get, like I said, get to about two miles away and I'm coming down this point. If you can imagine, I'm up on a high ridge. It's this big sandy hilly ridge down beneath me, maybe 300 feet is the river. And there's kind of a, maybe 80 yard to a hundred, maybe 80 yard wide kind of strip of flat ground along the river. And then it mm-hmm. rises up into these steep cedared hillsides. And as I'm coming down this point towards the river, I see a deer standing like right in the river, pull up my binoculars. And it's a nice eight pointer, like a shooter, eight pointer. First year I saw good buck. So I'm like, Oh man, that's awesome. So I scurry to try to grab my camera out of my backpack and get it up on him. And I film a little bit and he puts his head up and kind of starts walking towards my direction. So I realize 
I bet I could sneak down. If I get down fast enough down this hillside through these cedars, he's not going to be able to see me because it's so thick. I might be able to get to the edge of those cedars, and if he comes my way, I might be able to get a shot. So I grab my bow and just start like almost sprinting slash sliding down this hillside <laughs> to try to get down there before he gets to me um, while also doing that quietly enough. I'm like sliding under, like I'm literally laying on my back, shimming down underneath branches and stuff, trying not to snap things. And by the time I get to the bottom, I'm like one set of branches away from the edge. And here he is coming by at like 50, 45, 40, 35, oh boy. 25. And, and I can't get past these branches because he's right there. So I couldn't get a shot of him. He goes cruising by. He's basically cruising. And it was three in the afternoon. Hmm. So I see that. I'm frustrated and get a shot, but I'm also excited. Like, all right. That's what I want to see, and that's a great sign, and it also showed me how deer were using this area. And it told me, like, if there's another buck cruising through this spot, this is a perfect little pinch point because this hillside comes down tight to that river, pinching deer movement down to, like, a 40-yard-wide strip. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, if another deer were to do that, I'll have a perfect shot right here, down a little way. So what I did is I grabbed my stuff, went back to the end of that point where it pinches the narrowest, and kind of carved out a little area in a cedar patch and got tucked in on the ground um, just up the hillside a little bit back in these cedars and figured I'd sit there and wait. So I'm just sitting on the ground hoping another deer will do the same thing. And a couple hours later, I spot movement a few hundred yards away down. I pull up my binoculars. It's another buck, a nice buck, but he's walking away from me. So I grab my grunt tube and because he was walking pretty fast and pretty far away, I just needed something loud to get his attention. So the first thing I did was a snore wheeze. Um, and I could tell he was a big, mature buck. This was a deer that I thought would react in a good way to a snore wheeze. So I snore wheeze. He stopped, turned around, looked at me, and just stared for like a minute. And then he turned back and started walking away again. And then he started scraping. Maybe he walked like five yards and started making a scrape. So I snore wheeze again. He stops, turns around looks at me for like one minute, two minutes. And then you know this, you know, you know this feeling, I think, when you're doing like the stare down, like what's he going to do? And then when he turns his body fully in your direction, takes that first step, you're just like, oh, yes, he's coming. <laughs> no, it's really happening. Uh, and then he just starts stomping in right towards me. Came from 200 yards away. Wow. Um, he got to maybe about 80 and then started cutting to the side of me like he was going to try to go into those cedars too soon. So I just turned my grunt to the opposite direction and just made two like loud grunts as if like, no, I'm over here. And he heard that and he's like, oh, okay. And so then he starts coming paralleling right past me. And uh, he, he walked right in my lap just under 30 yards. And he went by in one little tree that was in front of me and I drew back and got a shot. And that was kind of, that was kind of all she wrote. It was Jeez. a, it was a slightly quartering two shot and the, the hit was a little bit back from where I wanted um, so he ran off and then I watched him bed down and I watched him, I could see where he was bedded till dark. So decided to wait for the morning because mm -hmm. of that. And, uh, next morning came back in there and he was, he was 30 yards away right there. Wow. So it was intense. I mean, it was really intense. I've never killed a buck on the ground without a blind like that before. Um, I've never killed a buck on a brand new property the very first time ever hunting it before. And I'm trying to think if I've ever killed a buck that I've snort wheezed in. I've snort wheezed bucks in, but I'm not sure I've killed one that I've done that. Um, so that it was all the way around. It's pretty darn cool. And the setting, too, was just insane. So it was quite a hunt. So when you're on the ground there, <clears throat> what do you do? You have any, you know, do you have a couple branches or, you know, go kind of like turkey commando on mm -hmm. them or what it just out in the open there? 
man, there was almost nothing in front of me because there's, there's very little, um, I'm trying to think of exactly there's a dead tree that was directly in front of me. There was like standing dead tree here. And then there was a fallen dead tree here. And then directly behind me, was a bunch of cedars and I kind of carved my way. So I'm kind of in the cedars on either side of me, there's cedars and great back cover all around me. Mm -hmm. And then in front of me was these dead kind of limbs. Um, but there was enough space and gaps in those dead limbs that I could get a shot. And I was hoping that there'd be, um, enough to at least break up my movement or silhouette. So I was, I was fortunate that he was coming in kind of on a mission. Um, he wasn't nervous at all. He was just like, where is this buck? So he was very focused going straight down in front of me, never looked at me at all. Um, and I just, you know, I remained completely frozen until he went behind this one branch, this one, that, that dead set of branches I mentioned. As soon as he got behind that, and I said, or like I said, it was somewhere just under 30 at that point, got drawn and immediately kind of blatted to stop him and, uh, and got the shot. So it was, it was wild. You know, Mark and Terry long, you know, this is years and years ago in the nineties, they had a title called the first time in. And I think it, it parallels in some ways here. And, and as much as anything, I think, you know, it, that could be the first time there's been any human intrusion there in a long time, it, realistically in that spot. I mean, you, you kind of had, you did, you did right. You found betting area. You, you've, you know, got the MRI, figured out where they were moving to. And then realistically, like they just may not have ever seen a human in that area before or very little. Definitely very little. Yeah. Compared to like Michigan deer, these deer are much, much, much less pressured. Um, so they probably see, you know, a rancher roll through there every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sounds like there's a few guys that gun hunt out there. Um, but this is, this is just, <clears throat> it's big country compared to back East. So it's, it's a different world. You can definitely get away with a little more. It kind of highlights the point, a point that I've been thinking about a lot here recently is a lot of times we hunt the way we want to hunt as opposed to the way the deer need to be hunted. And it sounds like you were outside of your comfort zone being on the ground. And, and, and I would say that being in a tree stand, like I want to be in a tree stand all the time. But guys, I mean, back in the 70s, people weren't climbing trees. I mean, everybody sat on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but it's become just kind of an orthodox for yeah. us to do that. And, 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 and you broke with it there because the situation demanded it. And, and it, it works if, if you're willing to give it a shot. Yeah, this hunt was all about adjusting on the fly. You know, we, we, totally. we, we came into it with a set of preconceived notions. We thought we knew what we were getting ourselves into. And very quickly we realized it was different. So it was all about how do you learn as much as possible, as quickly as possible, and then make fast adjustments and then constantly keep adjusting. So, you know, I went in thinking I was going to hang a tree stand, um, over alfalfa fields and that didn't hang out. That didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, all right, we're going to hang tree stands tight to these bedding areas. But then I got in there and I saw a buck moving and I kind of, not to mention, then saw that there's very little tree cover at all that would support a tree stand. Um, almost the only trees in there were all these cedars that would require tons of trimming to be able to get in there at all. Um, so very quickly we realized, all right, tree stands, tree saddles, whatever. Um, that's probably not in the cards for this hunt. So we started hunting ground. So we hunted the ground the rest of the way. So I killed my buck and then my buddy and I kind of hung out with him and filmed and stuff. And so we hunted the ground and we found out that these little bowls, where there's these cedars on the ridges and these little river bottoms with a little bit of like green grass. That was kind of what was holding these deer. Mm. So we just started systematically moving down from little bowl to little bowl, finding that same type of terrain that we discovered that was kind of the key to it. And, um, that's how we were able to, to find a few more deer, wow. but it was definitely, you know, it, that morning we showed up and we saw how different it was and 
we were a little bit intimidated um and we were looking at each other like wow we uh <laughs> we're in for what could be a total flop here yeah um and we're setting up our tent out in the middle of these hills and it's like blowing 30 miles an hour wind and i'm like i don't even know if the tent's gonna stay up like this could be just a total disaster you always ain't from around here are you uh-huh <laughs> um but we were walking out that first afternoon. I was like, if we somehow pull this off, if we somehow figure this out, it is going to be mm-hmm. such an amazing feeling of accomplishment to have done this in a totally new place, so different, all these different challenges. Um, so the fact that we did was uh, was very rewarding. What was the, the, the rancher's reaction when you guys successfully bow hunted a buck off his property? Um, you know, it wasn't like he was surprised. They'd killed yeah. deer with guns in the past. Um, he was actually surprised that we didn't see more deer, oh. um, th- but no one had bow hunted. I don't think in, in quite a while. So, um, so that he was kind of like, oh, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. I think that this is. I think this like area out there in the past used to be pretty good. It sounds mm-hmm. like they got hit by EHD a few years ago, and this really went down the tubes. Okay. And it sounds like they're just kind of coming out of it now. Um, so this deer that that I killed, he thought was like it was a good one. Um, but they've killed deer like that in the past during rifle season, closer to where they, closer to where they live. Mm. Um, the biggest thing they were surprised by was the fact that we wanted to camp way out there and just kind of hike around. Like, oh wow, you're way, you're way back in there. Why? <laughs> um, What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was fun. I mean, we went, to, we went to bed every night with coyotes howling all night, and uh, wake up in the morning and there's turkeys down the river bottom gobbling, clucking and purring like crazy. Cool. Um, and there's not a, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, there's no roads for miles and miles. There's no lights. There's no anything. So it was, it was, it was really cool. So Nebraska has some pretty epic turkey hunting. Did, did you open that door for a turkey spot this spring? We did mention, we're like, hey, would you ever be open if somebody's come out here and turkey hunt? And uh, he's like, yeah, we might be able to do that. Nice. Um, so this would be a cool place to do that because we saw, I don't know. 50 to 100 maybe something like that so as you were kind of you know i know how you are you you i'm sure you did a lot of homework before you went to nebraska as far as looking at you know uh uh, topography and all that stuff so did you use any apps to try to figure that out or go on blind or what was what was the process there yeah so definitely looked at maps a ton um I used the deer care, the deer cast app to uh, see what my weather and situation was going to be like when we got out there. But um, as far as looking at the maps and scouting and stuff, I was using the Onyx yeah. app, mm-hmm. um, which just is great for seeing, you know, the private property borders, the topography, all the cover, you got your aerial view, anything you need to see on there, you can. Um, so we spent a lot of time looking at that. We kind of pinpointed a bunch of spots that we thought would be the best. Um, and again, we were making assumptions, thinking these green fields were maybe some kind of hay or ag and then seeing this thick brushy stuff and assuming that was going to be the best bedding. So we marked the spots where there was these deep river bends that had big chunks of cover on them. And then we marked the spots where it looked like there might be river crossings coming across those S bends coming Mm -hmm. towards that food. And our plan was on day one to show up and and, in truth kind of verify those spots. Mm -hmm. But when we went to go check those spots, most of those were in the area where all the cattle were. And I should clarify the, A big part of what we did that evening was in the morning we found out where all that cattle was, but we found that there was a fence that they were not past. So that's why we had to hike the two miles to get to these other bulls because that got you past where the cattle were. And Mm -hmm. once you got where the cattle were, then we started finding that the deer were in that the cover we thought would have been good farther down wasn't good because of the cattle. But when we found that same kind of stuff farther west past the cattle, that's where the deer were. So that was a big kind of delineating line from good to bad. And once we found that, 
um, it definitely helped us narrow our focus. Nice. Cool. Using technology to the nth degree. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. what the, at Onyx app for sure. It's perfect for something like this type yeah. of hunt, that big, vast terrain, just just really getting a better look at it, even downloading the map, you know, if you didn't have service, getting it on your phone and keeping yep. it there, having all your yep. waypoints set. I mean, that's that's pretty killer, to, to be honest with you. Yeah, we would have been in a, in a tough situation if we didn't have something like that because, like I said, we were we were hiking, you know, two miles in and out from our camp, and these are like, this is rugged, big country. It was, you'd very, very easily get lost. Um, so we were marking, you know, we, we could drive our truck to a certain distance. We'd mark where we left the truck and then hike the two miles in and then mark your track all the way. Yeah. So then you could follow that exact track because there's so many steep canyons and draws and like cliff faces and stuff in there that if you just tried to walk a straight line from point A to point B, it'd be a nightmare, especially in the Mm -hmm. dark. So we could follow your, you could walk it in the daylight. You could see how to navigate through there and then be able to follow that same track back safely. Um, so we use it all the time. How did DeerCast and be honest, we haven't even talked about this, but how'd the prediction side work in Nebraska? Was it pretty spot on or a little bit off? You know, it's hard to say because we just didn't see many deer. Yeah. Um, so in general, the, the overall deer activity was very slim. Uh, well, sorry, the deer activity is very low. I think that was mostly though, just simply because there weren't many deer there. Yeah. Um, so I killed a really nice buck, but um, we were only seeing like two, three deer sit. Otherwise, two, three, four deer sit. That makes. We it did. Tough. We did see. You know, um, my buddy did get a couple potential shot opportunities at a three-year-old, um, and we did consistently see you know a buck or two a sit, um, and that seemed like the best there was out there. Um, so it's been hard to say. As far as like back home, I've been you know I've been checking deer cast religiously every time I go out. And there's a lot of times when it seems like pretty spot on. Um, but there are also a few days where I'm like, man, this is the kind of day that I would really like to hunt traditionally that the app is saying isn't going to be as good as usual. So what I've kind of used it as a um, like an analysis tool for me to like look at stuff. Okay, so DeerCast is telling me that today is poor or something compared to I would typically think this is a better day. And then I was sitting there and I think through all the different factors that Mark talks about. And it kind of just forces me to think through these things and wonder about it. And then I can fact check it after the hunt. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting kind of um, self-analysis tool for myself slash educational tool. Um, but but I, re- I really like it. I mean, I've been really impressed. Not just tooting your, your guys' horns. I like it. That, and that you're using it to the way that I think it was intended. Mm-hmm. Like it's not – it wasn't – we didn't build it to intend for people just to say, oh – it says great, I'm going, or it says poor, I'm not. Yeah. You, you still, you know, especially if you only have so many days to hunt, you, and you're in this case a lot where you go no matter what, whether morning, evening, whatever, mm-hmm. you're going when you can go. And I think the thing more than anything is with all the videos that are attached to it, it's more of trying to educate people on the thought process that Mark and Terry go through. And and there's times where I, we've noticed the algorithm skipped something or missed something or just didn't quite pick up on, yep. you know, on for whatever reason. But by and large, I think it's been it's been pretty accurate. But more than anything, it's trying to get people to think of, okay, these conditions lining up, what does it do to a deer? You know, why would it make mm-hmm. a move or not move? Yeah. And uh, I think you're using it exactly the way we intended it to be. Yeah, I, I think I would – and I, I know you guys would say the same thing. I know Mark and Terry would say the same thing. It's like I would caution people to ever put all their eggs in, like, any one basket. Totally. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. – I wouldn't put everything just on the app or I wouldn't put everything on, you know, there's the guys that follow like the red moon guide or yeah. whatever it is. Some guys mm-hmm. like I wouldn't put all your eggs in that. I wouldn't put all your eggs just in the basket of the Solunar tables or something like that. But any one of these things might 
give you a 2% edge or a 1% edge or a 4% edge. And if you are always paying attention to those little details, those things can start to stack up and that can make a difference. So, so I'm all about just looking at every little thing I can. And this is a great way to do that. Yeah. We appreciate that. And even, you know, for instance, just as a kind of to, to move us on to the next side of this topic is, you know, I, I had a, a good morning. It read as good for mm-hmm. me the day that I killed. And <clears throat> as we sat there in the stand, it, it started getting colder and colder. It was really overcast, which can be kind of a detriment sometimes. The pressure was dropping, but it was still fairly high. I mean, it was at 30.11 or something, mm-hmm. but it was slowly dropping. And uh, like I said, the temperature was dropping. Cloud cover was high. So I think that's why it knocked it off of a great, you know, great down to good. But <clears throat> we saw a ton of movement starting from the very get-go. Mm-hmm. We just kind of had a feeling about that morning. And we saw a lot of, you know, we were sitting off of food maybe, I don't know, maybe 150 200 yards we were sitting off of a biologic food plot in the timber and we were sitting on an acorn flat Mm -hmm. and we were on purpose you know we were sitting this logging it was just off the logging road maybe 35 yards and we were sitting there because our trail cameras were telling us that there were a lot of bucks in this area we didn't have any you know 100 percent definitive like hey this deer is moving at this time every day it wasn't that we just knew that he was generally speaking in this area among two or three other deer Mm -hmm. that were you know that we were after and you know ranging any this was definitely the nicest buck but it raining anywhere from you know 140 inch five-year-old or Mm -hmm. whatever just all over the spectrum there and all morning long we saw you know does going from food back to bed and they were just every one of them had their heads down eating acorns every one of them and we did see a few young bucks that were starting to nudge and you know get a little frisky and it was the first time we had really started to see that type of movement as well Mm -hmm. like you could tell like we're getting real close to where that switch is about to flip and uh same time yeah, so we we just sat there and and we saw good movement all morning. I probably we probably saw we saw great movement. I I felt like it, you know, saw probably 15 deer total mm-hmm. and it was probably about 9:45 and we saw what I felt like might have been the last two does feed off. And uh you know, I told my camera guy I said, "Hey, you know, cuz realistically this time it was October 25th that time of year we're not sitting all day yet you know I mean Mm -hmm. it's just not we're just typically we don't I mean we're starting to sit mornings uh, but usually midday we reserve for closer to the Missouri gun season because that's about the time where we see a lot of good midday movement from mature bucks so you know I felt like hey 10 o'clock I don't know why that hour that you know, I always, you always think, ah, we'll wait till Round 10. Yeah. 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 So we Get waited. Hungry. Yeah. Basically <laughs> <laughs> had no snacks, so we got to eat, uh-huh. uh, but we waited and you know, we hadn't seen any movement for about 15 minutes or so. And, and it had slowly gotten really, you know, sporadic yeah. through the, the, the later half of that morning. And I thought, okay, it's, it's probably tailed off. And honestly, the way the moon was, cause the moon was full the day before, so I'm trying to think that through. The moon was full on Wednesday. This was Thursday. No, Thursday. the moon was full maybe Tuesday, and it was Thursday when we shot. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember exactly how that was working. But anyways, we knew that the mornings were 
getting good. You and know? Then, and I think that moon was hanging late too. Yeah, hanging late, and it was. I think it set at eight eighteen a.m. that particular morning, and it was something like six fifty the day before, mm-hmm. six, you know, in the morning. And so I thought, like, hey, a, a mature buck would probably have been back to bed first with that moon. You know, they hunt, we might catch them first thing right out of the gate, and then all the rest of the you know the deer get to bed after sure. the most mature buck. And I guess that was the one thing that I really learned in this hunt. And dad looked at me like I was crazy when I brought that up. Like, oh, no, you know. But I'm sure if I would have said it the other way, he would have been like, oh, no. <laughs> you <laughs> <So>. idiot. <laughs> you can't do anything right there in that situation. But I, I just kind of assumed the, the most mature bucks would be the ones that go back to bed first with the moon hanging like that. And mm-hmm. I thought, and then you'd see the rest of the movement. So... We sat there. It was 10 a.m. I said, all right. I told my camera guy. We're two separate trees. I said, all right, let's uh, pack up and, you know, let's get ready to – we'll just kind of take our time and we'll get out of there. And because the other thing, those last couple of does that we saw at like 9.30, 9.45, they had – they were blowing pretty hard. Like we – our our wind was – it was real light that morning. I'm mm-hmm. talking like two mile an hour. It was like nothing. And we had scent crushed everything. We had, uh, you know, ozone running in, in the tree. And – um I don't know if she caught me moving or him moving or what the case may be, but we had deer downwind of us the entire morning and right at like 9.30, 9.45, we had a couple start blowing. Mm -hmm. It was really weird because we hadn't, there was nothing. Every deer was downwind yeah, of us. Why and they nothing. To yeah, well, I feel like they caught us moving because I didn't realize they were still there. We're in this timber and you can't, you, we had, we still have pretty good foliage mm-hmm. and, you just couldn't see them, yeah. you know, unless you really saw them moving. If their heads were down and they were eating and not moving, you didn't. You It was hard to pick them up. So I felt like maybe they caught us moving. Well, anyway, so, you know, at 10 o'clock, I'm like, all right, let's get down. So we'll pack everything in my back, in my pack. I uh, put the, you know, the arrow back in the quiver. He puts the camera in the camera bag, and he has his DSLR camera out mm-hmm. and we hadn't really taken any like beauty shots it was so pretty in there i mean the, the leaves are really turning it it's just beautiful it's a you know it's like a what is that guy's name ross Kincaid? uh no, no the, the, bob yeah. ross it's a bob ross <laughs> painting pretty, pretty little, little trees, trees you know everywhere <laughs> and so <clears throat> he's forced the camera guy he said hey i'm gonna take a few shots is that okay i said oh yeah no no worries you know we'll just sit here and hang out it's such a pretty morning yeah. so I lower my bow while he's doing that, and I'm just kind of leaning against the tree, waiting on him. I'm hooked in, you know. I'm, at this point, I hooked into the the lifeline mm. and out of. We got uh, at Dad's place. He's got a bunch of these eye eye bolts, bolts yeah. in the tree. So I hooked in the lifeline, and I see a year and a half, about 35 yards up from us, and I said, "Hey, buck, buck, buck," you know. And I look up and. And uh, so he still he sees him. Okay, it's a year and a half, whatever. So he keeps filming. And so at this point, I'm looking around. I'm like, wait, you know, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. look up. Maybe it's not game over. And we're in a spot. It's it's on a logging road, but there there's a, a tree stand across this logging road called Matt's Killing Tree. I've killed three bucks out of it, mm-hmm. and I think I'm the only one that ever sits there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's it's my tree. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had a lot of good luck always in the mornings. Uh, well, one of them, the first one I killed was in the afternoon, but the other two were in the mornings. Always had great sits there. Mm-hmm. Well, Dad had sat there last year one time, and he saw a bunch of bucks 
on the other side, on the west side of this logging road. And so in the off season, they hung a set here okay. where they felt like we had a lot of trails and they felt like a lot of movement was. So anyway, so I'm looking up this logging road and out steps a body, you know, and I could tell it wasn't a doe, but I couldn't see the rack and I had my binoculars in my pack. And, you know, it was one of those deals like, oh. <laughs> so I'm looking and I can't really tell, but I say, hey, buck, 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 you know, with more urgency. And camera guy's looking at me, forces looking at me. And I look at, and apparently we got this on camera because he was filming. And I said, you better grab your camera. <laughs> like, and I grab, you know, I don't know why, because I usually don't do this. But when I, cl- when, I, when I lower my bow, a lot of times after I've lowered it, I just throw the, the pull-up cord. I throw it down mm-hmm. on the ground, you know. And this time, for whatever reason, I had tied it to my belt loop. Sure. And... Sure enough, yeah, I, I'm really glad I did because I, I was, I mean, you would have never seen somebody move so fast and quietly. <laughs> I'm giving myself real birds. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so a, a second buck stop steps out and they're right under my killing tree and they hit the logging road and they're making a monster scrape. It was the distance at this point. I bet they're, I bet they're 70 yards, okay. 60 yards, somewhere in there. And so he's getting his stuff out. I get the, the bow up. I, I knock an arrow real quick. I put it on the bow hanger and then I turn around. So my back's to him and I like slip out of my backpack mm-hmm. and I hang it back up on the other, you know, bow hanger we had. And I'm trying to slowly unzip it. And at this point, I don't know what deer it is or who it sure. is. I just know mature get buck, get ready. You know, it may happen. So I unzip and uh, I pull out my rangefinder, pull out my binoculars. Cause honestly, I don't know why, but I, I just always want to get a, a set of binoculars on the deer, mm-hmm. even if they're within 50 yards and you could tell it's a shooter. Like sure. I always like to just verify who or what. Mm-hmm. So I put the binoculars on, I get a, a quick glimpse. I say, okay, it's mature. I still really don't see who exactly it is because yeah. the, the foliage is so thick there and they got their heads down just eating acorns. I mean, all three of them are just eating, eating, eating. So the camera guy gets on him and, uh, he, for whatever reason that morning I had never sat, I sat this tree two other times this year and I had been sitting, like I said, there are two, two separate trees and I had been sitting in what apparently was the cameraman's tree. I didn't realize it, but it was the closest to the logging road. And I thought that's where our shot was going to be. So I was sitting that tree and then the cameraman stand was actually the hunter stand. I should have, I should have known better because the cameraman stand was actually a little bit lower, which is in in our our setups is indicative of that being the hunter stand. Well, Thank goodness I did because the camera guy, I really had no view of these deer hardly, but the cameraman had a, a decent shot okay. at him the whole way in. So he got, he, he got on him and he says, Hey, you know, that's that, that's that. So dad was texting, uh, uh, Forrest and I that morning, a couple of pictures of shooters. He's like, Hey, I think that's that deer. The first, the first decent buck. He goes, I think that's that deer. Your dad sent me a picture of this morning. I sent us a picture of this morning. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, okay. You know, he's like, Oh, oh, that one behind him. That's gnarly. That's that big deer. Well, to backtrack a little bit last week on Wednesday or Thursday of the, the week before I shot him, I should say, I had gone up to dad's and had an encounter on a biologic food plot one afternoon. 
with a deer called Gnarly, a big, big body deer that dad had to match sets to uh, from the shed season. He had a bunch of encounters with him last year, passed him. He felt like he was just a rundown, just an okay deer for that farm. But the deer blew up like he wasn't on our radar before I had an encounter with Mm -hmm. him last week. And um, he he put on probably 25 inches of, of that's of incredible growth. in one year. In, in that year. And dad said he was the last set of sheds. He found them, you know, not far from our, you know, our, where we where we stay at, where we, our bunkhouse mm-hmm. is. He said he found them. It was like the last set of sheds. It was like almost April, I think. Wow. It may, late, late March or something like that. So he, he dropped late and he blew uh-huh. up. And um, it, we knew it was this deer because he had this really interesting abscess on his lower abdomen mm-hmm. and uh, that was we felt like this could be him we were looking at the sheds he, ch- he changed a decent enough amount that you were like oh i don't know and, and then you saw that abscess he's like yeah it's a That's no-brainer yeah. so we look, look back at last year's reconics pictures and he was all over this core area where i had the encounter with him last mm-hmm. the week before and then that logging road that i'm on it's not that far apart and and that was kind of his core home range sure. so that was one of the reasons we were in there. So anyways, fast forward, camera guy says, hey, that's that big deer. I never, at that point, I never put my binoculars back up. I just was concentrating on what I was doing. Well, I <laughs> I had grabbed my bow and swung around, you know, and there was no wind. So you're whisper quiet. And um, my arrow falls off. When I had knocked it <laughs> really quickly, I didn't push it all the way in the string. Yeah. And when I grabbed the bow off the hanger and swung around, it just bloop. And I go, oh, my my arrow fell off. And the camera guy, when he gets nervous, he chuckles. And he goes, huh. I was like, uh. That's the wrong time yeah. to do that, so buddy. I think the deer never lifted their head. There were three bucks there, and not one lifted their head. And I bet they are 40 Crunchy. yards away. Yeah. Because acorns were dropping all morning long. I kind of feel like they just felt like it was another acorn. And who knows? It might yeah. have actually kind of called that deer into us <laughs> you, you, you know what i mean it's like possible. It, yeah. you never know so i knock another another uh arrow mm-hmm. real quick and I, I don't know why but none of that the bow being on the ground the not none of that stuff spooked me or jarred me whatsoever yeah. and i had a lot of opportunities to get ruffled there but i think it kind of gave me pete shepley always veins. yeah pete shepley always says uh if you get nervous in a stand, like give yourself a job thing is things you got to do. Yeah, focus on, focus on these other things. Don't focus on the rack, you know, just focus on the things you got to do to make this, the shot count. And so the, the first year and a half, he goes out to the logging road and the other deer that was with these three kind of bumped him and, and runs after him and falls him. And then they cut our track on the logging road and that deer looks right up at me in the tree. And so luckily, I, the way that stand is, I kind of could get behind the tree and mm-hmm. hide a little bit from him. Yeah. And so then he kind of put his head back down. He started eating acorns. And so they're behind us. And meanwhile, the big deer, Gnarly, he's probably 35 yards uh, you know, in front of us mm-hmm. here and working his way in. And so I just forget about what's behind us and hope that they don't see us moving, sure. try not to move a lot. But my, like I said, my tree was kind of blocking my movement. Camera guy's tree, his, he would have been seen pretty easily from mm-hmm. the logging road. So, but he was, he was dead still too. Okay. And uh, so the buck starts feeding in. And I don't know, this probably takes 
20 minutes total, 15, 20 minutes total. It's a lifetime. It, it felt like it. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, I'm wrapped up in my pull-up cord. Why not? One my legs thing. are wrapped up in this thing because I've twisted and turned so many different times that, Jeez. you know, I had to tie it onto my belt loop. So anyway, so he gets in and uh, I draw my bow back and he's probably at 15 steps at this point, And I feel like he's going to continue on the path he's walking Mm -hmm. broadside right in front of us, almost right below my camera guy and give me a broadside shot. And so I drew one. He kind of got a little bit behind a few trees, smaller trees. And, uh, then he, he turns and walks straight at me. And I thought, oh, no, you know, because I, I, I just I don't know why, but I remembered instantly this hunt of Jared Lurks years ago, probably a decade or more ago, where he had this giant deer in Iowa walk mm. right to his tree. And he didn't take the shot because he didn't have a clear path yeah. at his vitals. And he just didn't feel like it was an ethical shot. And that was the first thing that was going through my mind. If he walked straight to this tree, I got no shot. Mm-hmm. So. I'm still drawn though, and what I've noticed is he's so close. Like I, I had glanced, and maybe this is why I wasn't getting nervous because I was still in my mind doing jobs, right? Yeah. And so I'm looking through my peep sight, and I shoot an IQ bow sight, and they got that green reticle, and you got to have the black dot right in the middle of that green reticle. Sure. And and I noticed that that thing wasn't. And if you don't have that, you're kind of torquing one yeah, way or yeah. the other. And I noticed it wasn't anywhere to be. I couldn't find the green dot at all. So I was kind of twisting my um, wrist a little readjust bit to figure out, it. readjust. And I kind of, you know, we had a, a tacticam running back so I could see but after the fact what I was doing. But mm-hmm. I kept, like, getting out of my sight picture, getting back in, out and back in yeah. and adjusting. And finally I figured it out there. And he was, luckily he was, he just has head down eating and he mm-hmm. was, he was going nowhere. So this all takes place in a matter of maybe a minute or two, you know, felt like a lifetime, yeah. maybe a minute, I had a minute and a half. And then he finally turns like he's going, going to go behind us to the, the logging road, but he turned just enough to give me that shot. And, um, so I, I tucked it as tight as I could. He was slightly quartering too, but not yeah. bad. And I tucked it as tight as I could and, uh, made the shot and, he blew out of there, and I mean, it was one of the best blood trails I have ever been on. And he just blew out of there, and we thought we heard him crash, but it was crazy. It was just a, a very intense couple minutes, and you know, I got the, I shoot that evolve cam system, mm-hmm. and it, it's got a high let off, and I honestly it it helped, it helped me quite out, a bit yeah. because I felt no, and I'm sure adrenaline took care of the rest. <laughs> it didn't really feel like I was holding and struggling. I wasn't struggling at all. Yeah, and it it just. It it's just perfect for it, those times. it was the stars aligned, and and it was one of those days where you could not do anything wrong. And I don't get many of those, so it was <laughs> it just it just happened. And uh, he he ran maybe 120 yards, and we got to go back to camp and get dad and go recover them together. And it's the biggest deer ever shot on dad's farm. He's owned it 14 years. And and, and where does that buck fit in your portfolio? Oh, of bucks? biggest deer by 10 at 10 or 11 inches for me nice. yeah and and i had awesome shot dude. yeah it was it was just um surreal and and i wrote a thing on instagram and facebook about it over the weekend and just you sit there and you think about that kind of moment whatever the biggest deer of your life may be whatever mm-hmm. you have on camera but you think about it and you sit in the stand you think about it over and over and over i've thought about that since i've been hunting since eight or nine years old i'm 37 and it finally it happened it finally happened so it was you know it'd be like if holyfield steps out for you tonight you know what i mean yeah. it's just surreal awesome. it's the one yeah. you're after and 
it, it, it's just a feeling you can't explain. Well, it's well deserved, buddy. I'm glad it happened for you. We uh, we've been paying our dues the last couple of years here, and I'm glad that you got a good story like this to share. You as well, man. That's pretty awesome to go down to to a new new spot and and scout as you're hunting and and get on one so quickly. I mean, that's kind of makes you feel like you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fool myself here and get too overconfident, but I will certainly enjoy it when it happens. Like yeah, this. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's uh it's awesome. Well, Mark, I uh, I hope the good luck now rubs off on you though, Tim. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just keep putting in your time and and you stay positive and uh, and it may or may not happen. But yeah, uh, we all know that that's not the reason. That's not the only reason that we go out. And so every time you go out, you learn something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, what I learned was don't get out of the tree. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like it's you know I'm gonna wait 15 minutes, wait 25. Stay a little longer. Yeah. I I hope you bought your cameraman lunch that day or something since he uh, since he forced you to wait just a little longer to take some pictures. That's right. That's yeah. right. I got extremely lucky. <laughs> he was doing his job and he he held me in. He was that's that's good. He's a yes. keeper. Yep. <laughs> Mark, we know That's you're busy. Awesome. We, we know you, you're coming off a 14-hour road trip back from your from your hunt. So thank you for joining us. If folks want to listen and follow all your work, how do they do that? Yeah, well, you can find the Wired Hunt podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And um, then, of course, check out the Wired Hunt Facebook page, Instagram account, Twitter, YouTube channel. And then also new content is also featured on themeeateater.com as well. So check all that stuff out. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's been fun. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome. awesome. I hope you, you have a good season the rest of the way. Keep us posted. Hopefully we can jump back on somewhere along the line here in the next month or two with another fun success story. Mm-hmm. Let's have a Holyfield story, right? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's, finally. Make it happen. Let's do it. <laughs> Great work. Right, thanks, guys. If, if folks want to subscribe to our show or listen to it or watch it, you can do so in all the same places, all the, the Google, uh, Google Play Store, iTunes, uh, any place you can find podcasts, you can find us. You can also leave us a question. We'll answer it on the air, potentially. Go to juryoutdoors.com slash podcast and click the send voicemail tab in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. Record us a message. Leave your name and location and what you want to know about. We may answer it on the 100% Wild Podcast. And as always, you can follow us at Jury Outdoors on social media. And if you're watching this podcast, you're already on our YouTube channel, most likely. Hit subscribe. We're going for 100,000 subscribers. When we do, we're going to give away a free PSE bow. Who knows? Maybe you're going to be that one shooting that ball of cam system. Mm. And... Uh, uh, you know, if you want, uh, check out DeerCast. It's it's been growing like crazy. We're over two hundred and thirty something thousand accounts and growing every day. And um, I think you'll like it. There's a lot to learn there. There's a lot of content, a lot of information, and mm-hmm. uh, give us some feedback. So yeah, and you can see Matt's kill shot on gnarly in DeerCast. That's it's right. The only place you can see it. All right, DeerCast now. Of course, we should. We're, Talk about Taylor killed a giant last week. Mark killed a giant. It's a parade. We had Tom Ware killed one. John O'Dell killed one. I mean, we had a really good week last week. So if you want, go over to DeerCast app. Check it out. The DeerCast Now section have all the kills as they're happening this fall. That's something we've never done before. So uh, it's worth getting right there. Absolutely. Well, I think we pretty much wrapped it up. Why don't we shut this thing down? All right. Until next time, Mark, good luck. Safe hunting. And uh, we appreciate you joining us, buddy. Thanks, guys. You too. All right. Peace. We're adding new videos every week, so make sure to click that subscribe button and check out all of our amazing content. This episode of DOD TV is brought to you by Lacrosse Footwear.